Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. to Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night when I am recording this. Had a good weekend. Not a lot going on. Obviously there are protests that are continuing to go on. There are very much more important conversations going on in our world right now. So make sure to tune into those. Make sure to continue to stay informed, stay understanding and be knowledgeable about the situation because the best thing that people can do in times like these is to keep themselves educated on what's actually going on. Uh, Get the news right from the source if you can. Uh, But if not, just listen to me because I know everything. That is not true. Don't do that. Uh, Today's podcast is going to be mostly about playoff narratives, specifically Nuggets narratives that they are either right or they're wrong or they're positive or they're negative. But these are some of the things that a lot of people in the media, a lot of people, a lot of fans, uh, casual fans, hardcore fans, a lot of them think about the Nuggets and they could be good. They could be bad. Um, I'm going to break some of those down. I think that's going to be a fun conversation to have. That's going to be in sections two and three, and I've got some good things planned for that. First section, though, a lot of media have continued to talk about Jamal Murray's press conference on Friday. I myself wrote a piece on Denver Stiffs today, uh, Monday, posted about noon today, um, that I thought was good, that provided a little bit of extra information about what Jamal was talking about. Um it was really impactful. It was really powerful. Um, it's old news now because that press conference happened on Friday, but I was still really impressed from what I heard from him. And I wanted to talk about it from both a, a basketball perspective, a leadership perspective. And he talked with me briefly right before the start, uh, before everything started recording. He said that he hadn't left Denver since the shutdown. And that doesn't surprise me just based off of some of the conversations that people have had. Uh, Matt Moore of the Action Network a good friend of the program, he had multiple sources tell him that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are both in great shape. And that makes a lot of sense because they haven't left Denver. And if you know, Denver hasn't been like they've, there've been a lot of strict lockdown procedures in a lot of cases. And these players, when they don't have any distractions and when the the restrictions are pretty tight, there's not a lot you can do. Uh, The Nuggets got really creative with helping Nikola Jokic work out. But if Jamal Murray is in the best shape of his life, or if he's anywhere approaching close to that heading into this postseason, then you might see a different Jamal Murray. You might see a, you might see an interesting version of him that you hadn't seen before. So I'm interested in seeing that. But ultimately, with Jamal, I believe it. 
I believe it because he's a gamer. He's also a basketball addict. Going into this long quarantine without basketball has to be killing him. He was by himself during this whole thing, and, and that's that's really tough too. Coming from somebody who's been lucky enough to live with my family, um, they they can wear on you a little bit. But without them, you start to go a little bit insane, and and you start to miss that that personal interaction that you can't usually get when you're not hanging out with your friends, hanging out with your family. So I'm interested in seeing how he comes back to this. I think he's going to be very focused. Uh, never have to really question Jamal Murray's work ethic. That's something that is taken for granted, I think, a little bit. Uh, Jamal Murray is a he's a worker. Um, he also mentioned Denver's championship hopes and how he believes Denver can match up with anybody. I'm not sure I would go quite that far, but saying anything less, I think, would be an admission of doubt. And if you're the Nuggets, you want to go into this thing feeling like you can be the best team out there. Feeling like you have a, a, a real chance. Nikola Jokic has proven that against almost anybody, he could be the best player on the floor. Against Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, he was the best player on the floor. We'll see how that continues to involve and uh, evolve and whether he can be the best floor when he's facing Anthony Davis and LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard and Paul George or James Harden. I think that's a really intriguing one. Um, we're going to see. We're going to see what he does and we're going to see how he responds. But if you're the Nuggets, you still have to feel really good with the way that he was playing. And if you're Jamal Murray, you have to feel really good too because going into the break, he was playing great. He was averaging nearly 22 points himself. Five rebounds, five assists, 39% from three. Lots of great numbers from Jamal heading into the or heading into the quarantine break. Um, he mentioned that when he and Joker are on, when they're feeling it, they don't feel like they can be stopped by anybody. And I think that there is some truth to that. We're going to see what happens when... Murray's guarded by Kawhi Leonard or somebody like that. If Denver's lucky enough to advance to the second round, if they play a team like the Clippers, Jamal Murray is going to get a lot of attention thrown at him. So we're going to see how he responds to that. It's unclear what will happen, but he had a lot of attention thrown at him in the Blazers and Spurs series. And he was one of the youngest players ever to score 20 points per game, or at least average that. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Denver's matchups with the LA teams, I think they're more dependent on finding a way to slow down the other superstars as opposed to how those teams can stop the Murray-Jokic games because there aren't many teams that can do that. The Clippers might be the only team that's well-equipped to do that. And even then, they don't have anybody to stop Jokic one-on-one. So we'll see how that goes. Um, More than anything, though, outside of the basketball stuff, I was just really impressed with Murray finding his own voice. He, like me, is 23 years old. He's two months younger than I am. So in a lot of ways, I feel a little bit of a connection to him just because I continue to grow in this process as becoming the site manager for the site, trying to navigate some tough waters. It's been one of a one of the crazier times to try to be a site manager for a sports blog. 2020 has never happened before like quite like the way that it has. So I'm uh, I'm still growing and I'm still learning. And I think when I stop and think about what Murray is going through and how well he articulated himself 
how well he was able to turn the process around during this conversation with the media and just have an open and honest dialogue with a mostly white group of media members, though I will say there were definitely people of color, women of color in the room. I thought it showed a lot of strong character, and Murray has been in hot water at a couple of times based off of other transgressions that have happened over the last couple months, so he's not automatically perfect. Like, nobody's ever going to go that far. I won't go that far, and I feel like I'm one of his bigger supporters here. But he's still so young. I'm so young. I feel like I've got a long way to go with the person that I want to continue to be. I can only imagine what a basketball player who grew up in Canada, who's a person of color, who's still trying to figure out his own waters, like, I can still see him continuing to grow. And I thought that this was a real step of progress for him. The Nuggets need leaders on their roster, especially going forward, especially as they get older, because Paul Millsap, he might be gone. Mason Plumley might be gone. Gary Harris, Will Barton, those are the veteran voices that the Nuggets have right now. And the natural progression is that if and when those guys kind of age out and Jokic and Murray kind of grow into themselves and figure out their voices in their primes, you want those guys to be stepping up as leaders. Malone has mentioned this on several occasions, that that's his expectation, that that's something that he's hoping happens. Uh, It looks like Jokic and Murray are taking that seriously right now. That's a really good sign. It's a great to see if you're a Nuggets fan, because I don't know if that was the consensus of what would happen. Jokic had some questions at the beginning. Even as soon as a couple of years ago, he had some questions about being a leader. He had some questions about how seriously he wanted to take this thing. Well, he turned around and he started taking it really seriously and he became a new player and a top 10 player in this league. And his final step, uh, Adam Morris and I have talked about this on several occasions, was that just got to be more of a leader. Just got to be more of the guy who dictates exactly what happens leads by example, but also with his voice because he's damn smart and has to continue to prove that. Murray's the same way. I don't think anybody questions his, well, some people question his talent. I don't question his talent. I think that he can be a 40% three-point shooter. I think he can average over 20 points per game, over five assists per game. And once you get up over those thresholds on a winning team, you're an all-star. You're you're in that category. So, I don't have any questions about Murray in that regard. Now, maybe this was just a 30-minute Zoom call. Maybe that's all this was. Maybe this was just an interview that Murray was doing, and he was on in a good mood and wanted to ask questions and thought this would be a good thing to do. But it still felt like there was something different. It still felt like something clicked in a good way. And I am excited to see whether he can take some of this positive momentum, not with the Zoom call, but just... Coming out of the break, feeling like he's in his best shape, feeling like he's his best self, and getting as comfortable as he can before going into a really weird postseason. He's going to be one of those guys that's ready for it, and it wouldn't surprise me if he broke out a little bit. So, we'll see how that goes. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into some of these Nuggets narratives, because I think some of them are fun, some of them are less fun to talk about. We'll be right back.
Spotify, we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Let's get into some narratives, and I'm going to start with the positive ones because I feel like there are actually less positive Nuggets narratives out there because a lot of people just don't believe in the Nuggets. There are a lot of fans, a lot of national voices that see this team as a good but not great team, and I think that's pretty fair. And because of that, there aren't a lot of takes that you can have with them. Jokic proved himself. Uh, Murray continues to look like a pretty solid number two option, but may not be a championship caliber number two option. We'll get to that point in a little bit. But not a lot of positivity because they didn't really shake things up last offseason. And so much of these positive narratives come from places of very visually strong changes. The Clippers adding couple of superstars to their team. The Lakers adding Anthony Davis. The Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis just continues to dominate. But even them, there are a lot of negative narratives with the Bucks. And the biggest one is that Giannis is going to leave Milwaukee for Golden State, which I think is ridiculous. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet any money on that, but it's still a thing. So but let's get into some positive narratives because I think these are these are fun, these are interesting, and we're going to talk about whether I believe that they're true or not, whether this is something that Nuggets fans should continue to believe. The first one is probably the most important. The Nuggets have the depth to make a playoff run. Now let me be clear to start this off. A deep run is almost entirely dictated by how good Murray and Jokic are, and if they can get enough help from their other starters in four of those seven games as opposed to a bench because I went through some data on the 2018-19 playoffs. There are not a lot of instances where a bench player scores 20 points in a playoff game. Even, Even for a team like the Toronto Raptors, it only happened once, and it was Serge Ibaka, who's basically their their sixth man, their guy who continues to... Actually, that's not true. Fred Van Vliet had it a couple of times, but he was also almost a de facto starter for them as well. You have to have a really confident bench player, a really couple of confident bench players, to feel like, oh yeah, that guy can get 20-plus and we can feel really good about it, him changing a basketball game. I don't know if the Nuggets are going to be in that situation. Um, So I think the verdict on whether they have enough depth is unclear. Right now, behind Denver starters, there's a mishmash of good pieces, I think. They haven't fully figured it out, though. Jeremy Grant, he looks to be the most playoff ready. He was good in the playoffs for the Thunder last year. He's a 40% three-point shooter, switchable defender, I think that translates really well to a playoff setting. Despite the fact that Paul Millsap has the net rating, has the the other data behind him as, as a guy who helps on both sides, he helps on the margins, but I think this game is going to be a lot simpler. And there there are going to be some things that Jeremy Grant does as a switchable defender who watches while Murray and Jokic continue to do their two-man game. He's going to be really valuable in some of these situations. They might even play Millsap and Grant next to each other and say, hey, Grant, go guard the three. Monte Morris, I think he projects to be good and important, but there is some evidence from last year's playoffs that doesn't really back that up, that says that he he could really struggle. 
he shot 0 of 13 from the from the three-point line last year. That's a big deal. Now, I don't think it's going to be that bad, and I think that this break is actually really good for him specifically because he played a full 82 games last year and then looked really tired in the playoffs. He was basically a rookie, very possible that he hit a rookie wall. This year, he played, I think, every game. I think he played every game this season, and he got a break. This was probably the best thing for him was that instead of playing all 82 games again, being tired, having to carry that load, he got a break in the middle. He's going to have a little bit of a ramp-up time, and then he'll be ready. He'll be physically ready for the playoffs. That's probably a good thing for Monte Morris. He could be one of the bigger X-factors for this Nuggets team because when Jamal Murray goes off the floor, or if Will Barton is struggling, or if Gary Harris is struggling, Denver's going to need another guard. A lot of people think that Porter would be good for the three. Torrey Craig may be good there. Monte Morris is pretty good, too. There could be situations where they really need him, and this this playoff run could go a long way in determining just what level Monte Morris can be. Mason Plumley last year, he also struggled in the playoffs, mostly defensively. Going back through the numbers, I was actually surprised how productive he was offensively in his time. I don't think the problem with him is as much offense. It could be that when he's out there, it's also difficult for other offensive players to score which I think is very fair. He doesn't space the floor. He doesn't make things a lot easier for others. Despite the fact that he can make some good passes, I'm not sure how valuable those actually are. So we will see, and maybe I'm wrong. I could very well be wrong, but there are going to be situations where if he's playing either a bad big man or if he's playing a team where they need size, where they desperately need him to go against a backup center, then He could provide an advantage, especially in a first-round series. The Utah Jazz, if they were to play, Rudy Gobert has to sit at some point. He's probably going to match up with Jokic's minutes almost exclusively. So when Jokic is off the floor, that means Gobert is off the floor. It wouldn't surprise me if Mason Plumlee is playing against Tony Bradley. He's got to dominate Tony Bradley. If he can't, then Denver has some issues. Um, could be against OKC with Nerlens Noel. Nerlens Noel is tougher than Tony Bradley, but could also be that when Steven Adams is out there that Plumlee needs to battle with him. That could be a big difference. I don't think he would play against Houston. I don't think he would play well against Dallas. But if Denver were to play Utah or OKC, Plumlee has to be big. He has to be really good. Um, If he's not, then I think he may be gone next year. Torrey Craig, he had a good playoffs last year. Very clearly, very, uh, very easily said. We'll see if he gets out there again this year. We'll see if he has a role. We'll see if it's more than just being a defensive stopper. Um, he didn't have that big of a role last year, but he was a starter last year. And if Denver is lucky enough to advance deep into the playoffs, I think he'll probably be called upon to fill that role in some capacity again. We'll see if he does well. I think he can. I think there it's probably 50-50 as to whether he really does well in that role and hounds somebody, or if he just isn't that effective. Maybe he doesn't help the offense get going. 
that could be a really big deal uh, because he has to play on both sides of the ball. It can't just be one. Teams will definitely take advantage of him while he's out there if he can't shoot. If he does shoot, that's a big deal. Now, Porter is, of course, the biggest question mark. There is a world where he absolutely dominates and puts together multiple games with 20-plus points. I will believe his playing time when I see it. I think there's it's there's just too much to do. There's just too much to figure out. He could be good, though, and he could be that advantage. And if there was any player on the Nuggets bench that you could count on to put together a 20-plus point performance in a half, in a game, he's definitely that guy. But he needs the conditions to be correct. Probably a Porter-Grant-Jokic lineup. Maybe Porter-Millsap-Jokic. Maybe Murray's getting a rest. Um, maybe the Nuggets go without a point guard. Maybe they say, hey, look, we want Gary Harris to be out there to defend the opposing team's point guard. We want Will Barton to be the de facto point guard. Then we're going to play Porter out there. We're going to put Millsap out there for defense, and then we're going to play Jokic. That is a situation that I could definitely see when Murray is getting rest. P.J. Dozier, we'll see if his two-way contract is converted. We'll have more on that probably in future weeks. Uh, Kitabates Diop, Noah Vonley, break in case of emergency guys. I can't really see Vlatko Chanchar being a contributor. Can't really see Troy Daniels being a contributor. And that's about it. That's what the Nuggets have. So we'll see what see what happens. Um, but yeah, Denver's bench does have stuff to figure out. I don't know if it's going to be perfect. I actually doubt that it's going to be perfect. But we're just going to have to see. Okay. Last positive one before we hit a break. Four-pack Jokic, ready to dominate. I think it's true. I just don't think it's going to be in the way that you think. I don't think he's going to be a better offensive player, though he might be. It would be very cool if he was. But the thing about Jokic is that he has this ability to dominate offensively no matter what his body looks like. And it's because of three key traits. He has greatest of all time passing ability. He has nearly greatest of all time shooting touch. It's not quite greatest of all time level, but it's very close. And he has elite decision-making skills, uh, or at least instincts. Sometimes he doesn't put it into practice perfectly. Sometimes he passes a little bit too much. There are times when he gets a little bit of tunnel vision, when he probably should shoot, or when he probably should pass. Um, He's not perfect in that situation, but he's definitely elite. And those are all independent of body type and it definitely helps that he's seven feet tall because no seven footer in history can say that they have that combination of instincts at his size. Now, where his body type really comes into play on both ends of the floor is the speed at which he can play. It's the entire reason, or it's not the entire reason Denver's offense is slow, but it can be, it could be one of those reasons that when Jokic is taking a little bit of time to get up the floor. He wants to survey the floor a little bit. He wants to see and read the floor like a quarterback. He wants he wants to make sure that, hey, I'm not missing anything because I'm moving too quickly and, and guys are moving when they shouldn't be. Um, on defense, it can be hard for him to keep up against switches. When he has to defend a guy like, say, Kemba Walker, if he was switched onto Kemba Walker... I don't think Nuggets fans would feel very good if they if the Celtics did that 10 times a game or if, let's say, the Celtics had Jason Tatum on him. 
let's say Jason Tatum got to isolate on Jokic 10 times a game. How often is Jokic getting a stop? It's probably not as often as you have to hope. It's probably not as often as, as is necessary for the Nuggets to win. Now, if he's a little smaller, if he's a little bit quicker, if he's a little bit more agile, maybe that changes. Maybe he's in a situation where he can keep up. Maybe his lateral agility allows him to stay in front of more people. If that were the case, if his body were to be able to keep up with his brain offensively, then maybe that actually helps him be better offensively. I don't know. I don't know. I I haven't thought about it too much, what his body is going to look like and how he's going to play differently. But I think the speed at which he plays is probably the easiest way to say so. Um, He's not going to be stronger, but he will be quicker. And whether that's in the short spaces that he usually operates in, or if he's just quicker overall, it's hard to say, but I don't think he's going to top the 25, 13, and 8 that he put up in last year's playoffs. But if he did, that'd be pretty cool. If he added 1.5 steals and a block to it, that's historic numbers. Huge impact and one of the best performances we'd have ever seen. So either way, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some negative Nuggets narratives. Alright, we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Final segment on negative Nuggets narratives. A lot of alliteration there. This, is that constant? No, it's alliteration. That's fine. Gotta gotta keep up on the grammar, folks. Um, the first one that I consistently hear, that I consistently see, that I always disagree with, is Nikola Jokic is a bad defender. That's not true. Because he's not a bad defender, and that's been proven wrong on several occasions. I've written stories about it. I've crunched data on it before. And here's how I'm going to approach that, because this is the easiest way I think I can explain this. In basketball analytics, there are four factors that really establish how effective a team is in certain aspects of the game that are tied to winning the most. There have been regressions that have been done on each of those statistics, and these are the ones that have the most uh, the most correlation for winning. When you have a better one of this, you're winning more. So those four stats, and this is outside of net rating, by the way. Net rating is the best of all of these. But here are the actual ones. Effective field goal percentage, rebounding rate, free throw rate, and turnover percentage. So basically, effective field goal percentage is how well a team shoots against the Nuggets by also adding in that threes are worth more than two. Rebounding rate is how many possessions Denver has, or how many possessions they grab uh, off of a rebound, off of a miss by the opposing team. So when the opposing team is on offense and they try to grab an offensive rebound, Denver's trying to grab a defensive rebound. Free throw rate, how often do the Nuggets send guys to the free throw line? Or do they send their opponents to the free throw line? And turnover rate, how often do they turn over the opposition? How often do they cause turnovers? 
Cleaning the Glass has a great visual on this. They do a great statistical website where each player, they affect the game and they affect and they have the above stats that are graded on on-off basis. So for Jokic, we can tell um, when he's on the floor, Denver gives up a certain effective field goal percentage, a certain rebounding rate, etc., etc., and then when he's off, we can tell the same thing. And we can find the difference between those things to figure out, okay, hey, which of these is an indicator that Jokic is having a positive or a negative impact? So that's probably the best way to go about this without getting into specific numbers because steal numbers can be arbitrary, block numbers can be arbitrary, rebounds can be arbitrary. We have a definite case for all of those things, but these four factors are the, are the single most important. So, with Jokic on the floor, opponents shoot 0.7% better in their effective field goal percentage, which would indicate that Jokic is a bad defender, that he doesn't do his job. However, the other three factors are important here because Jokic causes more turnovers, he prevents those offensive rebounds, and he sends opponents to the free throw line less frequently. Add all of those together, and those because those are all important, because they're maybe the effective field goal percentage is slightly more important than the others, but they all contribute to the larger piece of the puzzle because they measure different things. That net effect is that lineups with Jokic on the floor, they allow four points per 100 possessions fewer than lineups with Jokic off the floor. Now, does it help that Paul Millsap and Gary Harris are usually with Jokic? Yes, they're not with Plumlee as often as they're with Jokic. And yes, having good defenders next to you is a big deal. But the most important thing is that does it matter if the Nuggets can put together a good defense around Jokic anyway? No, it does not. What the Nuggets are doing around Jokic, they're doing really well. And that is kind of independent of the personnel around him. They figured out a way that with Jokic as their best player, they can be a good defense. They're not average. When they try, they're good. Jokic's ability to generate those steals, tip passes, force opponents to shoot where they're less comfortable, that's also important. He isn't great as a rim protector, and is it more important that he would be an elite rim protector? Yeah, that's probably more important. It would allow the Nuggets a little bit more... Uh, flexibility with what they can do defensively, but they have figured out a formula that gives them a good chance, that gives them the best possible chance they can get. And maybe with Jokic being a little bit more athletic now, maybe if he's in better shape, maybe if he can move a little bit more, maybe the Nuggets can do a little bit more. Maybe he's le- he's leaping a little bit better. We're going to have to see. I'm, I'm really curious to see whether him being in the best shape of his life whether that affects him positively as a defender. Because if it does, then this bad defender narrative, it's going away. It will. Next one, and this one's a little bit shorter. The Nuggets aren't an elite team and would lose to the other elite teams. That is the narrative that is out there right now. My verdict? Most likely. Let's be honest. The Lakers and the Clippers are pretty good. The Milwaukee Bucks are very good. They are probably going to win a title. 
one of those three teams is probably going to win a title, and it's because they have the most talent in the NBA right now, and very rarely does it go the other way. LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, in any order, I think you could you could really go with any order for those guys. Those are the consensus top three players in the league right now. I don't think there's any shame in losing a series against those players, especially when they have all-NBA caliber teammates as well. Anthony Davis is out there. Paul George is out there. Chris Middleton is out there. All of those guys are very good. And Denver's top two of Jokic and Murray, they're not quite at that level. Jokic is probably closer to being top three than Murray is to being all-NBA. So that's just a factor that the Nuggets are going to have to combat. Now, Porter isn't going to save Denver from that situation. He's not quite ready, and it could be a year, it could be two, it could be, it may never happen, but there is a chance that Porter could be an all-NBA caliber player. But I think he can make a difference against a lesser team, just not necessarily against the absolutely elite teams. Now, the next narrative is Jamal Murray is not good enough. Now, That depends on what you want to do. You're probably right if the question is, do you want to win a ring right now? Yeah, you're probably right. He's probably not good enough. Denver's probably not good enough as a whole. And that starts with Murray in this situation because Jokic has proven that he's a top 10 player, that he could be top 5. But you need multiple All-Stars. And Murray just wasn't at an All-Star level for most of the year. Now, he really showed up Later in the season, he really started playing well. Like I said, around 22-5-5 on 39% from three. Those are all-star numbers on a winning franchise. Those are really, really good. And to be fair to Murray, other players on this Nuggets roster have had their opportunity to step up throughout the year, especially when he was out. Various guys have stepped up to various levels, like Will Barton for a stretch. He was averaging about 17 points per game. Uh, took a higher playmaking duty, was was obviously getting rebounds with the best of them, but he didn't really go to 20-plus. There's a level that nobody else on this roster can really reach. Nobody else is has the capability to average 20-plus points in the playoffs outside of possibly Porter and Barton. Like, even Paul Millsap, he's been a great veteran for a long time, but checking his playoff numbers... A lot of that is on margin. A lot of that is on different ways that he can impact the game uh, defensively and whatnot. His last playoff series with the Hawks, he averaged 24 points per game in a loss against the Boston Celtics. They lost in six games. He was really good. He put up 45 points in one game and was, or was it 45? Let me check real quick. Um just to make sure that I've got this right. Um, No, actually, he was more consistent than that. He put up 27, 29, 21, and 31. But that was in the 2016-2017 playoffs. That was three years ago. Actually, probably longer if you consider that this this hiatus has us even delayed even more. Gary Harris isn't the same. Will Barton is, while he has been better, he's not quite at that level. Nobody on the bench is at that level except for possibly Porter. So Murray gets a little bit of the criticism, but it's mostly because people see him as 
being capable of being one of those guys and he's not quite there yet. And there's a little bit desperation because nobody else on the roster can do it. It's either Murray or it's probably bust. It's probably the fact that the Nuggets don't have another guy. They don't have another guy capable this year of being able to do that. So if you're trying to win a ring, you're probably right. Murray's not ready for that. But he could be. We'll see what happens when he comes back to these playoffs. I'm excited to see that. It very well might, it very well might change. But if you're trying to make a conference finals, Murray is absolutely good enough. They were nearly there last year. They had an easier road, but it's not like he was that far off. Murray's probably not going to be an Anthony Davis level number two option. I don't think anybody is. Like You have Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant as a one-two pairing. The Nuggets are hoping that Murray can reach that sort of ceiling. If he can, that would be great. I wrote about it last offseason. I don't know if it's quite going to happen that way, but he hasn't given me any reason to doubt that yet. But could he get to Paul George level on the Clippers? Could he get to Chris Middleton level? Paul George averaged 21 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists this year while shooting 40% from 3. He was also an elite defender. Could Murray outperform Paul George in a playoff series, or at least match up with them? Now, Murray this year averaged 19 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, but he only shot 34% from 3. He wasn't as efficient. He wasn't as effective. If that percentage crept up a bit, he's at least a lot closer. Shooting 40% from 3 would change his narrative so much. So much. Chris Middleton is getting all-NBA love for averaging 21 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists. And he's averaging 42% from 3. He was nearly 50-40-90 this year on an elite team. Murray, like I said, 19 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. He's not that far. He's just got to shoot it. Just got to shoot it a little bit better. Chuck it up there with confidence. Maybe something clicks. If something were to click, and he was really to start firing away, he's shown the capability of being able to get hot. He can make shots from all over the floor. And I was really surprised that his three-point percentage regressed this year. I don't think he's a 34% shooter. I think he's closer to 37, 38. And if he outperforms that, he could get up to 40. If he did that, at his current statistics, very close to being a top 30 all-star caliber player already. And he might even get to all NBA if he continues to take the necessary steps as a playmaker and defensively. I think he can do it. So if your question is whether Murray is good enough to win a ring, probably not. Can he be the second best player on a conference finals team? Absolutely. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Let me know if you want me to tackle any other narratives. Let me know what you're interested in going forward as the season continues to get closer. I am very open and very available to be talking about basically whatever you want to hear about stats-wise. We have some numbers that we can throw out there. I can do some predictions and projections. We can talk about what has happened and what I think will happen. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely not slowing down here. That's going to do it. We will see you guys next week.